Well, Oregon makes another addition in the transfer portal, and boy, they could have a top three defense in the Big Ten next year. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time. Once again, for Locked On Ducks, I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to or watch this show. Please and thank you, which is brought to you today by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat over 50 infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Oregon currently has the number five overall talent acquisition class in 2024, according to 24-7 Sports. That is a combination of your high school recruiting class, which is number six, in the entire country, and your transfer portal class, which 24-7 sports grades as the fifth best class in the country for the Ducks. The latest addition to that class is Jamari Caldwell, who is a fifth-year incoming redshirt senior from Houston. He was considering Texas. He decided instead to play for the Ducks. That's what we'd call a Dan Lanning, Tosh Lupoy special right there, because those two guys recruit that position at a really high level. And this is going to bolster Oregon's defense and help them build one of the best defenses in the Big Ten next year. Because Oregon is losing a lot of players on the interior of the defensive line. There are a lot of talented players who are going to be ready to make a second-year leap, who will be redshirt freshmen come 2024 when the season kicks off on August 31st against Idaho. But relying entirely on guys who have not played a starter's role is probably not the best practice in today's world of college football. So if you can go get a transfer like Jamari Caldwell, you absolutely should. Dan Landing and company absolutely did. And so that came not long after the Evan Stewart announcement, which was later last week. So this is a guy who was considering Texas. Pretty good to get him after he came, not from the city of Houston per se in this instance. I'm talking about the Houston Cougars. That's a big 12 team, by the way. Texas could have had him. Oregon was able to get him. He was a second-team All-Big 12 performer this year. Why? Well, he had six and a half sacks, one forced fumble, and eight and a half tackles for loss. He had a PFF grade just a shade under 83. This is the guy who's been around the block in his football career. He is 6'3", 325 pounds. That's a large human being. Very very large human being, but that's why he plays on the interior, where Oregon is losing Brandon Dorless and Popo Amavai and Casey Rogers and Taki Taimani. Ever heard of those guys? If you're an Oregon fan, then you definitely have, and you know those were impact players in 2024, and Oregon's trying to replace them. There are a lot of guys who could step in as redshirt freshmen next season. Guys like Amari Washington or Terrence Green or Johnny Bowens or Aiden Breeland, the incoming five-star true freshman. But bringing in a portal guy here made a lot of sense from a depth standpoint, reliability standpoint, and just a talent standpoint. I mean, even if those guys, any of them, right, I don't know what combination it's going to be. It's one of the most fascinating storylines to watch for Oregon going into spring football is how does that shake out on the interior? Who are the guys that that really emerge as the contenders to be starters next year on the interior for Oregon's defensive line? 
even if those guys are ready to become starters, do you think any of them are ready to just all of a sudden, if they weren't playing as true freshmen as three defensive linemen did last year, they were playing starters minutes. Is that a case in which you feel those guys are going to be all conference caliber players? Probably not. Because if they were, they probably would have been playing more as true freshmen. I'm excited to see who pops. But we saw Tatum Tuioti and Blake Purchase and Mateo Uyunglele make an impact for the Ducks this year. And the guys who are set to fill in for the, the departing Ducks, we wish them the best of luck in their pro careers, of course, on the interior of the defensive line, did not play significant or important snaps in 2023. So this is a guy who started his career at Hutchinson Community College, then went to Independence Community College. And now after a good season at Houston, he goes to the Ducks. He's got just one year of eligibility left is my understanding, but this is a guy who's going to come in. He's going to start. He's going to make an impact and be a force in the middle. And I think it's also great, not just from a high-end talent point of view, but also from a mentoring standpoint. I mean, you you look at Mateo and Purchase and Tuioti, who did they have to learn from this year? Well, Jordan Birch plays defensive end. Well, Mace Funa was playing that outside linebacker, jack position, edge position, whatever you want to call it. There were veteran guys in that room. Amarion Winston has played a little bit more college football than they had a guy who played more than most Duck fans probably realized this season, but was also a solid contributor. There were a lot of guys to kind of show them the ropes, how you work, how you train, how you practice, how you get better, and what to do during the games. This guy knows what he's doing. (laughs) This guy knows what he's doing. Oregon this past season, nationally, in all of college football, was number 11 in points per game allowed at about 17.3. That was just a shade behind number 10, which was 17.2. If someone had just missed a field goal somewhere, could have been top 10. But again, the defense was very good this season. And Oregon was 22nd in yards per game allowed. So when you have the number of returners that the Ducks have defensively, guys like Jeffrey Bassa, guys like Jordan Birch, guys like Jaleel Florence, when you bring in guys like Cam Alexander, like Kobe Savage, this is a defense that is stacking up to be one of the best in the Big Ten. And we'll talk more about the Big Ten later. But Oregon had one of, depending on which metric you looked at, one of the two or three best defenses in the Pac-12 this year. Probably one of the top two along with UCLA. UCLA's was very good. Laitu Latu, that guy's a that guy's a good football player. A really, really good football player. But Oregon had a lot of really good football players. And I think a defensive line next year that is led by Jordan Birch and now Jamari Caldwell on the interior. And let's just pick one of the young up-and-coming defensive linemen. Let's say Amari Washington. He's in there as well. And you have any one of, oh, I don't know, Mateo Uyunglele, Blake Purchase, or Tatum Tuioti at the other edge position. I feel really good about that defensive front. Then you have both Justin Jacobs and Jeffrey Bossa back at linebacker. And then there's some questions in the secondary, like who's going to play which corner position and how often are guys going to play. But Kobe Savage on the back end, all-conference guy. Cam Alexander coming over from UTSA, he was all-conference last year. Jaleel Florence, if he stays healthy in 2024, I think Jaleel Florence will be an all-Big Ten corner. I don't know if he'll be first team, but he could be second. I, I, I think he could absolutely be that sort of guy. 
This is a defense that is loading up with a lot of talent. The mix of returners and talented, experienced newcomers and young underclassmen who are ready to play a larger role. You put Aiden Breland into the mix and the rest of those guys, and you got Elijah Rushing coming in. This is a defense that is built from the inside out, and this has been probably the top position priority for Dan Lanning and the rest of the defensive staff since he arrived. I mean, they they recruited 10 defensive linemen in the 2023 cycle. I've had Brian Smith on the show to talk before about how that's just weird in a good way for Oregon. You want to build an elite defense? You know what you, you need to be able to do? Get pressure with four guys. You got to have a great D line, and Oregon is building that, and Jamari Caldwell absolutely helps out in that respect was productive a year ago really really physical guy between the tackles and again 6'3 325 this is not a Brandon Dorless type that could line out at, line up at defensive end every now and then this is somebody you put in between the tackles and you say go wreak havoc and clog up running lanes and free up space for Jeffrey Bosch and Justin Jacobs and the rest of the linebackers to make plays so love the move I think it helps Oregon's defense, and I think that defense is going to be really good. So Oregon's had a great offseason. What about others in the Big Ten? Which I, I have something I just just got to get off my chest before we dive into all of that. That all after we dive into FanDuel, of course, because the NFL regular season, yeah, that's, that's come and gone yesterday's news, but the playoffs are here, and there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get 115 bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, whether you win or lose. It just doesn't get any easier than that. You just put $5 down. If you're right, woohoo, I'm the smartest guy in the world, or girl. And you just, you know, if sometimes you have another bet where you're like, oh, I thought it was right, and it's not. You get 115 bonus bets either way. The app is super easy to use. They have live same-game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, and more. Visit Fandle.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup. Fandle.com slash locked on. Fandle, official partner of the NFL. A little second segment sip and let's roll. So, I got a mailbag question, which I love getting. It's my favorite part of the show. YouTube comments, Twitter, if you want priority, go over to subtext. Free 14-day trial, then it's just $5 a month. You get all sorts of perks over there, including priority mailbag access. But I got a question that came in over there on subtext about... Uh, that, that it went a little something like this. Looking to be quite the entrance into the Big Ten, what are our new rivals getting lately? Michigan, Ohio, Penn. I, refer, I assume you're referring to Penn State, uh, not Penn, the Ivy League school. Did you, did you notice what word was in there? Rivals? How about new adversaries? Because rival implies there's a long-storied, regularly played history between two programs. In the Big Ten, a move I wish we didn't have to make, but understand why they did, we don't have rivals. You can't make a rivalry overnight. You know what was brewing in the Pac-12? A rivalry between Utah and USC. But two years into it, and some kind of feisty games, and some really close games, and high-stakes games, you, you couldn't have labeled that a rivalry because it wasn't it had the makings of one but it was still going to take another five to ten years you can't put that stuff in a microwave it's like putting tin foil in there don't do that by the way you don't you don't put foil in the microwave 
Rivalries cannot be made in a microwave. They require the slow cooker. They require the smoker. Put the barbecue on low for eight hours. Don't try and cook the ribs at 400 degrees in an hour and a half. You're not going to get fall off the bone tender meat. It doesn't work that way. So our new adversaries around the Big Ten, I'll go with the three who I expect to be conference contenders next year as they have been in the Big Ten for each of the last many seasons. Let's start with Michigan. Roman Wilson just declared for the NFL draft. That was their best wide receiver. Blake Corum's going to go to the NFL draft. J.J. McCarthy could, not sure if he's going to. Michigan doesn't even know right now if they're going to have their head coach next year. That's a rather significant domino to have fall. When you before you can assess what an offseason is going to be or what an offseason even is for Michigan, they're trying to figure out whether or not their head coach is sticking around. Meanwhile, we know that Oregon's head coach is sticking around. Shout out to Dan Lanning and the Oregon creative team. I also saw Lanning and his wife at the Oregon men's basketball game, not in person. I saw it on TV. They showed the I'm not leaving video. It was met with thunderous applause. And then Dan Lanning is there, and he was met with even more applause. And then Oregon overcame an 18-point deficit against Cal and won by seven. That's called a 25-point turnaround. Shouldn't have been in that position in the first place, but Oregon's 5-0 and in Pac-12 play. I digress. So that's what's going on at Michigan. Are they going to have their head coach next year? Don't know, but that's going to affect a lot as to how success- successful they could be next season. Sharon Moore could be the logical replacement. He appears to be good, one at Penn State by calling 27 straight runs, whatever works. Ohio State. Ohio State's interesting because they added Will Howard. Do you know who Will Howard is? Let me tell you. So Will Howard was the uh, Big 12 champion quarterback in 2022. Wait, wasn't that Max Duggan? No, that was Kansas State. Kansas State beat TCU in that Big 12 title game. Will Howard was the quarterback. They went 10-3 and that season. They've been a solid program. They've decided to go with Avery Johnson, one-time Oregon potential quarterback recruit from the high school ranks. He's going to be the Wildcat starter in 2024. And so Will Howard almost went to USC, goes to Ohio State instead. I think it's a great match because that's a guy who has never had elite weapons or elite offensive coaching around him with a passing game. And he's got that now with Ryan Day. I think he's got some talent. He's a guy who does a little bit with his legs, but he's got a good arm. It's at least good enough is how I would describe it. And Ryan Day's track record with quarterbacks is quite good. So I think that Will Howard at Ohio State is a fantastic addition. I think that could really, really pop for them next year compared to what they had with Kyle McCord. And by the way, they went 11-1 and this season. They weren't exactly a slouch. Penn State, meanwhile, Penn State gives me the same football team under James Franklin every year. A very good team, by the way. Not one to take lightly. Not one Oregon plays in 2024. It's not a team to take lightly. It really is not. But it's also not a team I take super seriously compared to the expectations they want to reach. Not the expectations I have for them. They meet them every year. Win anywhere from 9 to 11 football games. Yeah, they do that pretty much every year. This season, no different. You know who they lost to? Ohio State and Michigan. Again, James Franklin against those two teams. At Penn State, four and sixteen. Four and six they're a good team. They're a good team. They're a great program. 
I would not put them at the top of the top. I think Oregon is a more realistic Big Ten contender. They're running it back with Drew Aller at quarterback. I was not impressed this past season. He could get better. What What, what is James Franklin's record with quarterbacks? Not, not all that impressive. Love the Big Ten question, though. Love the question about those particular teams. Teams I'm talking about a little bit more on Locked On College Football, formerly Locked On Pac-12, RIP. And I think the Big Ten is going to have a lot of really fun matchups. There are some really good teams. I wouldn't sleep on Wisconsin. They added Tyler Van Dyke from Miami, and Luke Fickle's a good coach. I would not sleep on Wisconsin. Ducks have to go to Madison this fall. Hmm. Tough game. Tough, tough game. I was talking about transfers earlier because Oregon added Jamari Caldwell. And that prompted me to circle back to this question, which came in via the YouTube comments. Always a way to get in the mailbag. Twitter's a good one as well. There's a new handle over there, by the way, which I am now realizing on YouTube. We're going to have to make a little bit of an update there. The handle on Twitter is at CFB, M-C-L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N, CFB, or you can just search my name, at Locked on Ducks as well. DMs and mentions wide open on both spots. This question from Nick asking about the best and worst transfers from the 2023 cycle. Who worked, who popped, who didn't? I think this is a good thing to do in the midst of Oregon adding all these new players via the portal to understand that some guys are going to come in with a decent amount of hype or potential and maybe not live up to it. Some guys might fly under the radar and have great years. So Oregon's transfer portal class in 2023 went something like this. Justin Jacobs, Treshawn Holden, Kyrie Jackson, Junior Angulau, a Johnny Cornelius, Tez Johnson, Connor Soley, Evan Williams, Tysheem Johnson, Jordan Birch, Casey Kelly, Caden Ludwig, Gary Bryant Jr., Nishad Strother, and Nico Reed. I have put these guys into three different categories. The best transfers, the least impactful, and the tweeners. So, let's start with the least impactful. Caden Ludwig, transfer, came over, Clackamas kid, did not see the field in a meaningful way. Heck, I don't even know if he saw the field this season. He was a depth piece, but for the most part, from what I know, was a practice player this season. Junior Angulau, I thought that would be one of Oregon's starting guards. I think a lot of people thought that. But Marcus Harper, who's coming back, by the way, which is very nice, he's he's returning to start at left guard, a job that he won this past season. You had Stephen Jones at the other guard spot. And then I think Poncho, beat out Junior Angelau. I, I think Angelau was brought in to be that sixth offensive lineman at the very least. The same kind of goes for Nishad Strother. But neither guy was able to consistently crack the rotation. Why? Because Poncho just beat him out. The true freshman came in, kicked butt, took names. He's going to be Oregon's starting center in 2024. And then Connor Soley wasn't a guy that played on, on anything more than special teams. He was a special teams guy, but wasn't someone who was regularly seeing the field. For, for the Ducks. I didn't have that, that high of expectations for him based on what he'd done at Arizona State, but I saw him make some special teams plays this year, and I like guys that make plays on special teams because the third side of the ball, as we know, matters a great deal, and Oregon special teams is worth noting. This is not all Connor Soley, but he was there. They were much better across the board. Kickoff coverage, punt coverage, it, it, was, it was improved. If you're talking about defensive special teams where he played a role. So those were the guys who came in and they had varying expectations. I think Angelau played the least compared to what I thought these guys might. But the other ones, I didn't figure to have a huge impact. And they were more depth pieces or practice players. And that's kind of what they turned out to be, for the most part, depth pieces 
across the board. But there were two other categories, two other categories that we've got to get to. After we get to Jace Medical, of course, because I know we come to sports to escape from some of the crazy realities of real life, but can we just talk for a minute about preparing for real life? According to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right now in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade, which is not something that should comfort you. I can't imagine a more helpless feeling than if I were to get sick and I couldn't get the medication that I needed, but I'll be okay because of Jace Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, skin infections, among others. This stuff could happen to any of us, so we want to be prepared. Visit jacemedical.com, complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today in this crazy world. Go to jacemedical.com, use offer code locked on, get $20 off your order. That's jacemedical.com, use offer code locked on to get $20 off your order. All right, the other two categories. Let's go with the best transfers and then talk about the tweeners. These are the guys who came in and made a big impact for the Ducks this season. Tez Johnson, 1,000-yard receiver. Johnny Cornelius started every game at right tackle. Stud, happy to have him back. Jordan Birch had, what was it, six and a half, seven and a half tackles for loss. Led the Ducks in TFLs this season. Was instrumental in allowing Brandon Dorless to lead the team in sacks because he helped him generate a lot of quarterback pressures. Yeah, that worked out. Kyrie Jackson, all-conference season. Evan Williams, second-team all-Pac-12. Tyshim Johnson, Pac-12 honorable mention. Those guys... That's one, two, three, four, five, six players that came in, started right away, and made an impact right away. Tez Johnson's impact was was something that grew throughout the course of the season, but he was, of course, very, very good. Set the Oregon single-season receptions record en route to a 1,000-yard campaign. And having most of these guys back, the only two that won't be returning, Evan Williams out of eligibility, Kyrie Jackson off to the NFL draft. The fact that Jordan Birch, Ajani Cornelius, Tysheem Johnson, and Tez Johnson are all coming back in 2024 is part of the reason, not entirely, but a good part of the reason I'm so optimistic about what Oregon can do this season because those are really key players that Oregon has returning, and I know what I'm going to get from them. Here is an interesting group. The interesting group of transfers from the 2023 cycle were the tweeners. The tweeners are guys who who played regularly, made an impact, but did leave you wondering, could they have done a little bit more? So Gary Bryant Jr. and Treshawn Holden are at the top of my list here. And without Troy Franklin in the rotation, I think we saw what those guys are capable of. And in the Fiesta Bowl, I mean. And Gary Bryant showed glimpses of it. I think that Oregon's wide receiver room is probably the deepest position on the team. I, I mean, it's it, it's ridiculous how deep that, that group is. You've got Evan Stewart, a former five-star. You've got Jerrion Dickey, one-time five-star recruit who could be poised for a big leap next year. You've got Holden and Gary Bryant Jr. coming back. You have Tez Johnson in there. You have Kyler Casper in the mix as you know a depth piece right now. That's a really impactful room. But Holden especially, 
I think he's got another gear from a production standpoint. I think he can be close to a thousand yard receiver. If Dylan Gabriel throws for close to 4,000 yards next year, I wouldn't be surprised if both Evan Stewart and Treshawn Holden push for thousand yard campaigns alongside Tez Johnson, who I'd expect to be in that range once again. I think one of those other guys could get it, but I'd expect all of them to certainly be over 600 yards, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're all kind of 800 plus. Uh, I, I think that those can be that that can be a really really good trio of wide receivers. But again, Gary Bryant Jr. Treshawn Holden made an impact this season. Could they have done more? Probably. Will they do more next season? We will see. Justin Jacobs is a tweener. I think he made a good solid impact when he was on the field, but he wasn't on the field for half the season. So. That's why I put him in the tweener category. I think him and Bossa healthy together next year. Give me that linebacker tandem all day, every day. Nico Reed. I think he played about the, the amount I expected, but I wonder if Oregon doesn't use more nickel packages with him next year as a third corner on the field as a slot guy. He's someone who played more as the year kind of went on and there were some injuries in the secondary, but he was a starter at Colorado, and I think you technically classify him as a starter at Oregon this year, but I don't think he was someone who you'd say was you know, on the cusp of having an all-conference caliber season or you know, playing just such a huge instrumental role. He had a role. It was clearly defined, but it wasn't massive. And the same goes for Casey Kelly. I think Reed was more impactful than Casey Kelly, but Kelly's a guy who has since transferred away from the Ducks, which I think is fine because you got Tiford back, you got Patrick Herbert, you got Kenyon Sadiq. You're good at tight end. Or Oregon, I think, is just fine at the tight end position there. And Casey Kelly is someone who, you know, came in really to be the number three tight end, and he was. I think he definitely could have done more, and we'll see where he where he ends up as time goes along. Because I think that he, when he got an opportunity to catch passes, he cut that ball down the sideline from Ty Thompson against ASU. That was a, that was a heck of a throw. That was a really good catch, too. And he made that low catch on the touchdown against Colorado in, in that uh, first Pac-12 game of the year. I think he could have done a little more. Made an impact, but certainly I'd put him in, in the tweener category. But good question, Nick. Uh, always good to kind of think back to, you know, the impact and we'll see where those guys you know uh, once Oregon's transfer portal class is finalized they'll go through and you know look at who could have the biggest impact what kind of role they could play and everything like that so that's how we keep the content flowing in the offseason back into the mailbag though this question from bud two of them three of them technically now we know that dan landing is staying in oregon how will that impact our recruiting in terms of what appears to be long-term stability of the program are there any players recruits or coaches on the Washington staff who could possibly become Ducks. No on the Washington part, but I think the immediate impact of Lanning staying has been pronounced. I mean, that video that, you know, the social team put out that Dan Lanning, he just tweeted or retweeted it. It was watched like 12 million times. Other schools started doing it. Texas kind of copied Oregon. It was, it was, it was fun to see. Because once again, Oregon, not afraid to push the envelope, do something new and creative, and be at the cutting edge. And I think Oregon has been rewarded in that sense. Because since that video was released and the whole announcement and everything, Oregon added Evan Stewart and Jamari Caldwell. And guess what? They wouldn't have been coming to Oregon if Dan Lanning had decided to go elsewhere. That, that just would not have been the case. So I think that 
it made Lanning look very good. I think he does look very good. It certainly helped get those two guys, but in the long run, when you can really go talk to recruits and now make the pitch of, hey, I want you to come help us build that first national championship team at Oregon, and I'm going to be committed here because I ended up not going to the Alabama job. Yeah, that's that's a heck of a recruiting pitch right there. Other questions from Bud. Over the years, we've seen a variety of Oregon recruiting philosophies regarding how many scholarships to offer from highly selective to a more blanket approach and when to offer them from high school freshmen and younger to only upperclassmen. The latter may have eliminated us from getting to us several years ago. Where is Dan Lanning currently on these philosophies and do you expect them to change? I don't think you see a lot of offers to kids that are not upperclassmen. I mean, you, you'll see an offer every now and then to you know a high school freshman or a sophomore, but mostly offers get made to juniors and seniors because that's when guys have actually defined themselves physically. So I don't think there's going to be some radical change. I think whatever Dan Lanning is doing, this is a guy who's pulled in back-to-back recruiting classes that have ranked nationally inside the top 10. This is a guy who's pulled in a top five transfer portal class this offseason right now, according to 24-7 Sports. I, I think when he goes and recruits high school kids, he knows what he's looking for. And if he identifies something at, you know, uh, that, that a kid has a trait or an innate ability to accomplish something on the football field at a young age, sure, they'll offer him. But I think it's more common in basketball. Like Jackson Shellstad, I think, first got scouted or talked to by Dana Altman when he was in eighth grade. Like that guy has been on Oregon's radar for a long time and newsflash it's paying off. Shellstad is very, very good. So I think it's more common there than it is in football because kids will undergo growth spurts later in high school. And, and you want to see what they are when they're fully developed. Cause that gives you a better idea of what sort of player they'll, they'll be in college, but keep the questions always as common or keep the questions coming as always. Everybody got backwards there for just a moment. Good time to end the show. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.